Welcome back to another Youth Centered Podcast. Very excited to have the fourth person in our Savage Leadership Series. This is an individual that I got to know along with her husband about a year ago. As a matter of fact, our first meeting was like two weeks before the world shut down. Uh, and this is uh, Dina Young. So Dina, first of all, thanks for coming on the Savage Leadership Series. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Dina, what we like to do is instead of me reading a bulleted bio of who you are, which I think is a little stale, I like to have our guests kind of tell us a little bit about themselves. You know, what is the Dina Young Files? Give us a little background of who you are and what you stand for. Great. So um, my husband, Stuart, and I own um, 5.0 Design. We're recently rebranded from Landmark Finish. Um, located in Andover, Mass. We've been in business for 20 years, and um, during that time, we've had to pivot multiple times due to market conditions. And so we're actually in the middle of another pivot right now with the rebranding and um, getting ready to roll out our new line of furniture, which we're really excited about. Um, When I'm not at work, I'm a mother of two. Uh, My two sons, Brody, who's 14, and Colby, who's 12. Um, you know, we do a lot of family projects together. Our boys have grown up in the shop for, for better or worse. Um, they were always with us at work because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we work a lot. So um, they've grown up in the shop. They've become, you know, uh, young woodworkers and, um, and young entrepreneurs at that as well. They kind of have their own little gig um, making cutting boards and, and different kinds of things and now working with the youth center as well. So. Um, you know, we like to be involved in our community, both as um, residents and as business people reaching out and, um, and trying to make an impact on the community around us. Absolutely. And I got your name uh, from Andy Furman, who's actually on my board of directors, our council. Uh, and he said to me, you know, you need to really reach out to the young as they're doing some creative things, because I at the same time was thinking about how we could incorporate a little more programming around uh, different things are working with your hands and woodworking. And I remember coming over, and it's a great facility, people, if you ever get a chance post-pandemic to come over. Uh, they, they have a nice property with you know two floors, and they showed me all the different things that they do. Uh, and at that time, with some amazing you know furniture I was looking at, and then we talked about doing a woodworking program, uh, which we actually have kicked off successfully this year. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So Dina, what we ask all of our guests in this series is, the first question is uh, one that we ask everybody, and that is, how would you describe Dina Young's leadership style? Um, I would say passionate. Um, everything that I do, I, I really throw myself into it and get behind it. Um, you know. I'm, I, if somebody tells me that I can't do something, I'm just more <laughs> more want to go out it and get it. Um, we had that, you know, a little bit of a situation with the the youth program, um, you know, with a, an insurance issue, and I said, nope, there's no way we're not making this happen. We're gonna go after it. So um, I really I really get behind everything that I do, and I'm passionate about it. I'm very determined, um, and you know, Stuart and I wind up um, doing a lot of our ventures together. Um, both, you know, as husband and wife and as business owners. So um, we also bounce ideas off of each other a lot. So it's always nice to kind of have him by my side to to support 
um, you know what we're what we're looking to go after. Do you think you've always had that style, or is it a style that you know obviously with your union with Stewart is that something that's evolved, or is this kind of you know go back to even your younger years as as a kid, a college student, beyond uh, with those kind of your leadership style, or has this evolved? I mean, I've always been a very self-driven person. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I studied like crazy. I didn't necessarily have somebody riding me to do that. Um, I was just always very self-driven to um, to excel and to um, try to achieve great things. So, I mean, of course, I think everything evolves over t over time. And so, you know, then going to college and um, you know meeting other people and um, kind of taking in different um, different experiences and you know bring them into who I am. But for the most part, you know, I've, I've always been self-driven and um, I really like, one of the things that I really like um, is pleasing people and, and bringing a smile on people's face. So whether it was, you know, um, working with a client to design something for their home to make sure that they're going to have a great space in their home that they're going to enjoy for years to come or, you know, helping my kids um, you know, learn a new skill in the shop so that they can go out and build something. Like I'm always um, looking to share my skills with other people to kind of lift them up and help them do something great as well. Awesome. Following up from your leadership style, what would you say are some of your leadership values? Oh, um, I would say definitely integrity and um, loyalty. I'm a very loyal person. And it's very important to me to always be authentic to who I am. Um, you know, sometimes you have to make tough decisions and you're pulled in different directions, but um, I, I always like to make sure and reflect back that what I'm, what I'm pursuing and what I'm going after is authentic to who I am and I'm not trying to um, fit into somebody else's mold. I love your use of the word authentic. Uh, John McVeigh and myself, uh, we use that word a lot. Uh, and truly is what I'm looking for to be every day is authentic and, and true. Um, what type of leader, you know, going back to obviously before you were, you know, owners of your own business, um, what type of a leader growing up maybe did you thrive under? And what type of leader would you maybe have struggled with? Oh, I would say in my older jobs, when I was first starting out in my career as um, a CPA and financial controller, um, I definitely thrived under leaders who let me take something and run with it. Um, I definitely struggled with people who would micromanage me. So sometimes I, you know, sometimes I get very caught up in my head and I, and I get all these great ideas and I just need to go out and get it. And I definitely feel constrained by people who, you know, want me to report in at every pinpoint along the way. Um, I, I, really, I really thrive under people who um, give me that freedom to and that liberty to kind of go after something and and uh, tackle it my own way. Absolutely. I mean, that's the same way with myself. I struggle with micromanagers, and I, at some point, I just like people to get out of my way and let me do my thing. And I, <laughs> I think I've proven that I can do that. Let's talk a little bit about Landmark Finish, and we'll get into the new branding of the of the of the company, but. Um, why did you and um, Stuart start Landmark Finish? And what was your vision probably in the early years? Oh gosh, we've changed so much over the years. So we've, we just celebrated our 20th year of being in business, May 1st. And um, 
So I really was not part of the company when it first started out. Um, so we incorporated in 2000 and I was working downtown, um, working toward earning my CPA. And Stuart's been an entrepreneur his entire life. So aside from the four years that he was in the United States Navy, um, he's pretty much never collected a paycheck from anybody else. He's always been an entrepreneur. And so he started out um, doing finished carpentry, which is where the name Landmark Finish came from, because he was really a finished carpentry um, company. And so, you know, he started out with a trailer and his Jeep, just with a little mobile shop and going around from job site to job site, creating um, finished carpentry on site. And he got in with a very strong network of um, high end um, general contractors in the greater Boston area, and then eventually um, grew out of that and rented a small shop down in Winchester because we were still living in the city at the time. And, um, you know, just with time and hard work, he, he grew out of that, and that's when we purchased our building in Andover in 2007. So I really came on board with the company um, after our oldest son was born in 2006. And Really, I came on in, a, in an accounting capacity because that's what my background is, accounting and finance. And so I really just came on doing the books. But that's changed so much over time. And, you know, it took me a little bit of time to, um, to learn a new industry, right? And so my entire background was in finance. And now, you know, I'm trying to learn the language of, you know, the world of construction and, and um, cabinetry and um, and gain my confidence in that as well. Um, so slowly I started taking on a greater role doing project management, design work, general, like, you know, just general um, organization with the business. And, um, and then that grew into really business development and, you know, doing community outreach and, and things of that nature. So it's been quite an evolution over the last 20 years. Um, and now we really, we manage the entire business together, so there's really no aspect that I'm not involved in, um, other than you know Stuart still does like the the design on the you know the software design and um, running the machines, but um, but now we really you know manage every aspect of the business together. And I love it. You guys have you know we're going to talk about the shared responsibility is my next question, but one of the things that I've loved is this just a real collaboration with the both of you doing a little bit of everything the reality is on the on the business side and our connection with the youth center you know I deal directly with you quite frankly and you do a lot of you know the arrangement on that and then obviously with the the actual products that we're working with and you know Stuart's the, the genius on that stuff so it's my next question would be around that like how is leading a shared responsibility with your husband you you have a similar uh, our past guest was Melissa Rodriguez who's our town manager who is a town manager, obviously in North Andover, and her husband is actually a municipal government. So they have a lot of where they share a lot of the same things. You guys work hands-on in, in the business together. You see each other at home every minute, uh, and you see each other every time in, at work. So how is leading a shared responsibility with Stuart? Well, we have very different styles, um, whether it's in management style, um, how to approach things. I am definitely more um calculated and thought out and Stuart is more um quicker on his feet um i don't want to say impulsive but he makes quicker decisions than i do so in many respects we complement each other very well 
Um, so, you know, when he wants to jump right into something, I'm like, hey, hold on, wait a minute, like, let's think about this, you know. Of course, I'm always like trying to make a spreadsheet for something, but <laughs> um, so I would say that we, we just complement each other very well. I mean, that's not to say that, you know, once in a while we butt heads because we certainly do. If, you know, if he wants to move on something quick and I want to, you know, kind of analyze it. But, um, but for the most part, you know, the formula just works for us, you know. Um, and, you know, we have struggled over time to, um, I would say, manage our work-life balance better. And we're getting better at that. Um, we're better at that now, I think, because we know that we're moving towards something with our new line of furniture that we know has really great possibilities for it. So it's you know it's always easier when you know that you're moving towards something that is going to be successful rather than when you're kind of stuck in a rut you know and um, and so you know we've been in business together for 20 years we've been together for over 25 or 26 years now um, so you know we've just we just have learned how to uh, how to really make it work. Yeah, and I've actually obviously don't know you that well, but over the last year we've had many conversations and uh, meetings with you guys, and I love how you and Stuart really balance each other off, even in a meeting. When we came here to talk about our second round of doing the program, there was really a give and take with uh, Stuart and you, as well as your boys. So you brought the boys to the meeting. So that's actually my next question. I love this whole aspect of this uh, family business businesses, uh, as well as a lot of leadership qualities, not only from you and Stuart, but also with your young men who I am very impressed with. So how has family helped you be a better leader? And talk a little bit more about the boys, not just hanging out at the shop, but now being part of what you're doing. Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of funny because when, um, when the kids were really young, Stuart didn't really want them to learn the business. He didn't want them to learn how to work, not that he didn't want them to learn how to work their hands, but he certainly didn't want that to be their future. Um, I would say because, because it hasn't always been easy as, you know, through the 20 years, I mean, when the market crashed in 2009, we had some really, really tough times. And so, you know, obviously you always want something better for your kids. And so he did not want the kids initially to really get involved at the shop because he wanted to make sure that they were pursuing something bigger and better um, for you know the long run for their goals for in, in life and um, but then you know it just happened organically I mean in the beginning the kids would you know say oh Papa can we help you can we hold this for you you know and then they would disappear into the shop and we'd find them and they would be screwing you know 50 screws into a piece of wood and and staying busy that way, and they were happy as anything doing it, and then we'd be like, okay, now go unscrew them. Um, and then it really developed into, you know, um, both of them have, um, I would say, Stuart's brain in the way that they are very mechanically inclined. And, you know, he has discussions with them about, you know, products and different things, and they actually can make suggestions that are like really value-added suggestions because that's what they've learned over the years. And so, um, you know, when they first started out making their own projects, they made a cutting board for me for Mother's Day. And it's a beautiful cutting board, I still have it. And, um, 
you know, I posted it on Facebook and all my girlfriends were like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Like they should sell those. I want one. Can I order one? And so I told the kids and they were like, what do you mean? We can make money doing this? Mm -hmm. And so the best part of it was that they were taking all of our wood scrap in the shop. So they literally were using pieces of wood that would have gotten tossed in the garbage. And they made this beautiful cutting board. And, um, and so they, you know, they saw that they were having fun doing it and they could make money doing it. So they're, they're very motivated by money, my kids. Um, which is not a bad thing. And, um, and so they, you know, they kind of strategized about how they could make it into a business. And so, you know, obviously we supported them in that and we got them into actually the local artisan market in North Andover over by the mills. And, um, and they were just a hit. I mean, people loved it. They loved their story that they were young kids that, were doing something with their hands. They were creating something. They were upcycling materials so it had the green aspect to it. You know, they loved that they weren't sitting in front of a screen playing video games. They were doing something constructive. And, um, you know, it's taught them so much over this time because they have skills that so many kids their age just don't have yet. Absolutely. You know, interacting with people, they've learned how to you know, speak to an adult, they've learned how to make eye contact, they've learned how to shake hands with somebody, obviously pre-pandemic. Um, you know, they've learned how to reconcile their cash box at the end of the day. Like, uh, the skills that they've, that they've learned through something that just started off as one little project have really grown them to the point that, um, you know, they don't even, they don't know what they want to do in, in the future yet because they're only 12 and 14 but they both already have that bug in them that they want to be entrepreneurs, which is yeah. really cool. And we're going to get into it a little bit more about their, their participation in our program here. But so two weeks before the pandemic, everything shut down, we had talked about doing a program. Um, and uh, we came up with a woodworking program that I got a grant for, thank you to the Joseph N. Herman Youth Center. Uh, and we were excited because we didn't have the ability to do anything either expertise-wise, space-wise, equipment-wise here at the youth center. So when Andy said reach out to the youngs, it, it made all the sense in the world. So let's talk a little bit about our partnership, right? So we, um, we came up with the idea uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, and we were actually able to roll it out uh, this school year, and we just finished this week our spring session of it. So talk to me a little bit about our partnership and how that evolved and um, what you're thinking of it. Well, I mean, I think it's awesome, and I'm so glad we finally got it off the ground. Um, so the real magic, I think, of the program is that Brody and Colby are the instructors. So it's that peer-to-peer -peer instruction that I think um, really is our, our secret sauce here. Um, you know, when the kids come in, it's kind of interesting because the two groups that we've had so far have been, um, have been different in that the first group was more chatty in the beginning, the second group was a quieter group, but by the, by the time the second group left after six weeks, they were all chatty and hanging out and making small talk with each other and rooting each other on and congratulating each other on their, you know, their, um, the piece of art that they made. So, um, so that's been really cool for us, you know, to kind of watch the evolution of the kids over the six, the six week program. But, um, 
you know, I think the fact that, I mean, obviously I do some of the admin. I talk about the safety aspects of the program and do that. And I, Stuart and I are overseeing the program, but we really try to leave it to Brody and Colby to do all the instruction. And I think that gives the participants a different level of comfort coming in that they can ask a question because they're maybe if they're a timid child they're not asking an adult they're asking somebody who's literally the same age as them and um, the boys also share toward the end of the program some of their own projects that they've worked on so for example Colby likes to do leather working he makes bracelets and Brody's made you know um, his own guitar he's built his own guitar so they get the chance to show that and I think it really shows the kids in the class that like, you know, well, why can't I do this? You know what I mean? And so I think it gives them that perspective that they come in for the most part having no hands-on experience with any tools or wood. Correct. And, and then they leave with this beautiful piece of art that they've made, a piece of wall art, and they see the other projects because we have a little corner where we keep out all of their projects so that they can see them and touch them. And I think it gives them inspiration that, you know, they might be able to make some other things down the road. So it, it really, I think, gives them a different perspective and opens up their mind to something that they might not have otherwise exposed to. So the model that you and Stuart put into place, I could not have been more happy with. So as a kid-centric person, the fact that your boys are actually the instructors, and again, like you as an administrator, I gotta make sure everything's being done safely and, and following all the guidelines that we have now. And you and Stuart do a phenomenal job with that. But your two boys are rock stars to our <laughs> kids here at the youth center. Uh, most of them consider them friends. I know they keep in touch with each yeah. other through social media and texting. Um, and it's been phenomenal what uh, the boys have done. Uh, we're real excited, as I told you offline. Um, the first two groups have been all boys. Uh, actually, no. No, we, we had, had one we had, girl. We had one girl this session. Yeah. Um, but we're looking to do, I hate to you know, separate by gender, but there's a bunch of girls that would like to do it together. So our next group uh, this coming fall um, that I wrote another grant for, uh, we're going to try to get uh, a girls group to go on that. But again, your boys have been amazing with our kids. And it's been amazing to watch both of your boys present at the program, but also in that meeting I had here, was I, I was always impressed with you and Stuart, but I might have been more impressed with your two boys in terms of their questions to me uh, and their ideas. And the way that you allowed them to express how they felt was real leadership to me. So let's get into the pandemic. Um, in the pandemic, lots of things changed. And one of my things that I talk about is who were the real leaders during the pandemic and who were the ones that were more just title holders? And I love hearing stories of people that either reinvented themselves or adjusted, or we use the word pivoting a lot um, during the global pandemic. So I'm sitting next to these wonderful plastic uh, dividers that we have all through the youth center. And when we first heard about this, uh, it was no brainer that I heard that the youngs were leaning into this type uh, of, of pivoting in their business and they did a great job of that. So talk a little bit about what the pandemic did to landmark finish per se um, during those tough times and how you reinvented yourselves. So, um... 
pretty much, I mean, when the doors, you know, when the school shut down on March 13th, you know, I mean, obviously we thought the kids were going back to school after a week, (laughs) right? It was like supposed to be like a little hiatus to clean out all the germs and they were all going back. And then, you know, we quickly saw, you know, watch the news every night that that was not going to be the case. And we had, I would say, five or six projects, custom cabinetry projects in queue in various states. And so, you know, we started receiving those phone calls from the clients saying, you know, our general contractor just shut down the job, we're on hold. Can you finish our cabinetry? Can you hold on to it? We don't know when we're going to take delivery. Like, people just didn't want anybody coming into their home that wasn't necessary. And we understood that. But, um, we also knew that that meant that, you know, our workflow was going to dry up in the near future. And there was no, at that point, there was no telling when there was going to be some kind of wave of relief that people were going to feel like they could get back to normal. So, um, unfortunately or fortunately, we were not a stranger to pivoting. So when the market had crashed in 2008-9, we had pivoted our business then from high-end residential cabinetry to uh, we had added commercial cabinetry at that point. And so we quickly, Stuart and I quickly started reflecting back on, on that pivot that we made. And, um, you know, he just knew that we had to do something, we had to do something fast. So we were literally watching the news one night and Stuart saw somebody standing behind like a makeshift barrier um, being interviewed. And he was like, Dina, we, we got to start making plastic. And I was like, what? Because like this was just out of nowhere. And and then we really started thinking about it. And you know, our shop has all CNC machinery um, that we've invested in over the years. And the machinery doesn't care if it's cutting wood or plastic. So we really were in a position that we could make that transition very quickly. So Stuart went to the shop the next day and started prototyping. Um, he knew that he wanted to make something that was a little bit different than everything else that was on the market. He wanted to be, you know, like everything that we do, there's always got to be this high quality um, characteristic to it. And sure. so, you know, he wanted to make sure it was going to be very sturdy and put out not just a commodity product, but something that, you know, was going to stand around for a long time. And um, I would say within two to three weeks, he had our line of clear protection barriers prototyped and ready to go to market. And we just went after it. We, um, like most of what we do, we did a very grassroots kind of, I call guerrilla marketing approach. And so we started reaching out to people in our current network. So everybody on the commercial side that we've ever done cabinetry for, we let them know that we were making our own line of clear protection barriers. We started posting it on, you know, social media, um, connecting with people through LinkedIn. And before you knew it, you know, we made our first sale on May 1st of 2020. And over the course of the next several months, you know, all the way through the end of the year, we um, we wound up, you know, working with local businesses, um, some colleges and universities, I think over 40 local schools, we were able to help get back to business. And so, you know, it was um, it was a very interesting time because, you know, a lot of people were not in great shape from a business standpoint, and we were actually doing very well. Um, COVID was actually a, a, a great period of time for our business um, because we did pivot so quickly. 
But, um, you know, we also took a lot of, um, we felt good that we were helping people get back to business because, you know, we knew how important it was to get people's doors back open again. So, yeah, um, I, mean, I, I personally was a recipient of that. One of the last things that we had to do was to get this plastic installed so we could open up. And again, we, we were open all summer, but then when standards came with opening the youth center for the fall, we had to do this and, and you and Stuart, um, you know, took my order right away, got it in on, on time and even quicker and we were up and running. So it, it was an incredible pivot that you guys did. And we're gonna actually talk about how the landmark has turned into your new business. Uh, but let me, let me ask, let me throw a quote out at you. So this is a quote that I thought about you and, and Stuart, but I'm gonna ask you the quote. Um, and it's, it's simply old school, new school, one school. That is a school of growth, development, and improvement. What would that quote mean to you? I mean, when I hear that, I think if we're not moving forward, we're moving backward. You know, um, life, for better or worse, is not a stagnant place. It's not static. And so, you know, for us, we're always looking to innovate and, um, and try to grow. So... You know, and, and that goes for our business as well as, you know, the, the, the business with the kids as well. You know, trying to set that example for them as well that um, you always have to be forward thinking, right? You always have to be anticipating what, um, you know, obviously nobody anticipated a, a, a global pandemic, but, but always looking for ways to improve yourself as well as your business. Um, you know, and just just looking forward all the time. Absolutely. Um, take it outside the business right now. You, you're obviously raising a family. You're involved with the community. Are there leadership initiatives that you're involved with outside of the family business? Um, so I, I, in the last couple of years, I've taken a step back, but I was very involved with um, our kids' schools in Boxford, um, particularly when they were younger. Our, older son is now in high school, so it's a regional high school, and our younger son is on his way there next year. Um, but I spent many years um, on the PTO board, fundraising a lot for the schools, uh, which was really important to me at the time to make sure that all those extra programs that come into the schools were, were supplemented. Um, and I actually, I, I really enjoyed that time. Uh, I made some of my best friends through that connection. Uh, and then Stuart and I are also involved in the, uh, the Merrimack Valley Chamber of Commerce, mm -hmm. which has been uh, a really nice connection for us in our business. And, um, and then we also try to, um, like I mentioned earlier, Stuart's a U.S. Navy veteran. So we participated in a program um, about a year and a half ago now, like an accelerator program from a business standpoint uh, that was focused on veterans. And so we try to give back to that program by doing webinars and, and things like that whenever we can as well. Awesome. I, lo I love that. You know, it's not just leadership in the work, it's leadership in your own personal life. And you, you mentioned thin things that are really dear to yours and Stuart's heart, you know, obviously education. Uh, and the fact that I didn't know Stuart was a veteran and, and doing some things for veterans is, is awesome. Let's talk about how the business has now changed in terms of uh, it's going to be 50 design uh, talk about how that evolved and why so when Stuart developed our clear protection barriers they have a very unique um, hook and slot joinery system and um, at the end of 2020 he wanted to he wanted to build desks and give them to charity and 
we struggled with what would the desk look like and um, the design aspect of the desk because he wanted, again, to put out something that wasn't just an ordinary desk. He wanted it to... Um, he wanted to do something to help people who, um, you know, so many people now with parents working from home and kids remote learning, people are tight on space, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody lives in a big old house that has an extra room for everybody to be doing school from home or work from home. And so we wanted to do something that was really space friendly, but we struggled with it. And so um, we started prototyping and then we realized that we should use the same joinery system that we use for the plastic on wood. And so we've since applied for a patent. We put a patent application in on that joinery system and we've developed our own line of furniture with that. So, um, so we weren't able to do that charitable contribution at the end of the year because it took us several months to prototype, but now we're getting ready to roll that out. And um, it's really exciting because um, it could be broken down, it could be assembled in 30 seconds, which is insane. There's no hardware or tools required to put it together. Really? Uh, we just, this past weekend, we went down, there was an open air market in Copley Square. And we were like, you know, let's just, let's go get a booth and let's just put our stuff out there and show people just to get like initial reaction now that we can that the patents filed. And people loved it. And the thing that really drew people in was the demonstration because when was the last time you saw a piece of furniture put together in 30 seconds flat? And so Stuart, God, he was a saint. He spent six hours straight assembling, disassembling, assembling, disassembling. But that is like, that's the magic of this furniture is, you know, showing people that like anybody can put it together. Um, so, you know, we're really excited about it. We feel like it can be um, appealing to a whole range of people. Uh, we're really targeting probably the most um, people living in the city where space is tighter. Sure. Um, but it's really neat because you can take it apart. You can stow it under a couch or under your bed when you're not using it. But it's really a multifunctional piece of furniture that can be used as a desk, a hobby table. If you have a small kitchen, you can use it as an island or something. Um, and he's really gone um, above and beyond, and he's developed like coffee tables, bed frames. Um, so we're gonna roll it out slowly, but um, we have this whole line of furniture that's that's coming to market. How exciting! So Five O Design will be the name. It is in process right now. We're in Dina and Stuart are rolling that name out now. So we won't be using Landmark Finish anymore. At the same time, the boys have started their own little business under you guys. I love the name, Young Makers. Um, their last name is spelled J-U-N-G-E. So it's Young Makers. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that and what are the boys' plans? So that's, you know, kind of a play on words. So we first started getting involved with the maker community um, back in 2018. So um, Sue and I are originally from New York, and there was an event happening in New York City called uh, Maker Fair. And so, um, so Brody had found it on Instagram. He had been following some people doing woodworking and metalworking, and he heard about this event. Um, so basically, it's just an event where if you make things with your hands, you can go to the event, you can see, you know, different projects that people are making and just connect with people and talk about what, you know, what kind of projects you like to do. 
And so being that we were from the area and we still had family there, we were like, yeah, sure, let's go. So so we went down and we went to this event and the the event I would say definitely changed our our life and our family dynamic because it was that event I would say that we really um really kind of understood how much the kids enjoyed connecting with other people who make things. So, you know, that's been a little challenging for them because at school, you know, they don't have a lot of friends who make things. And so this event, they were able to meet other makers and um, really, you know, talk to people on an intellectual level about the things that they're making and the projects that they were working on. And that really was, um, that was an incredible moment for them and to, and to witness that. And then from there, we just, we stayed connected with that maker community. And um, we started a family YouTube channel. So that's where the Young Makers really started was we started a YouTube channel called Young Makers and we started documenting our projects that we were doing with the kids. So um, Brody's taken to, you know, um, he's very good at video editing. So, you know, we would go to the, we would go to the shop on a weekend and we would pick a project and we would video it and Brody would edit it and we put it out on YouTube. And I'm not saying we have a huge following or anything, but, um, but that's really how Young Makers was born. And then when we started working with the youth center for these classes, we initially had done it under landmark finish. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, our insurance company did not like the idea that we were having children in our shop. Sure. They didn't, um, they didn't necessarily take the time to understand that they were only using very limited tools and it was all in a safe environment. They just did not want the exposure. And so um, the insurance company basically said, we're going to cancel you unless you remove this piece of your business. And so that's when we decided to actually incorporate Young Makers. And so now we're running the program under that name um, with, you know, obviously with the proper insurance. Um, but it's been, you know, I think even in that, you know, you see like that as like a hiccup in the road, right? Like, oh, what are we going to do? But even even that hurdle, I think just solidified for us even more that this is really something that we're passionate about and that we wanted to move forward with and start a brand new company to make sure that we can offer these things. Um, for Stuart and I, you know, we've struggled over 20 years of being in business with finding employees and finding young people who want to start a career in this kind of stuff, working with their hands. And um, so we've witnessed that from a business standpoint. And then the boys have witnessed it from, you know, a peer standpoint that they're the only ones doing what they're doing and, you know, within their own peer groups. And so for us as a family, we really feel passionate about bringing that to other youth and letting them have that experience of being in the shop and creating something. Yeah, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And I keep talking about how great your kids are, but it's, uh, they are true leaders themselves. Um, you know, as you look at um, going forward here, um, what, what keeps you going and growing in leadership? Are there things that you do to either study, read about, listen to uh, in terms of growing your leadership? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is just staying positive. You know, I mean, we hit a lot of hurdles along the road, no matter what we're doing. Um, 
So staying positive is, is a huge part of, of just moving forward in general. Um, but Stuart and I, over the last year, we're, we do a lot of continuing education. So we're always um, looking to better our business skills and our personal skills. Um, Stuart listens to a ton of ebooks mm-hmm. all the time. Um, I prefer to read rather than to listen. Um, so I don't get through them quite as quick as he does. But, you know, we're just always... Um, we're obviously we're just always open-minded to hearing you know um, different perspectives and and you know listening to people that can share with us something that can help us to grow both you know professionally and um, personally absolutely I did want to go back to when we had that insurance glitch um, and in your insurance company was working with my town's insurance company back and forth one of the things I was most aware, uh, impressed with is she's not lying. Adina would not let this go. Like I've dealt with other companies in the past on other issues, not necessarily insurance, where it's like, well, we can't do it, let's give up. And there was no give up in you, and I know there's no give up in me. Um, and we probably rectified that. It took probably a little longer than both you and I wanted to. Yes. But you know, within a couple of weeks, we had it resolved. And I always say, I took from that that, you know, Dean is going to be someone I can work with that, you know, not going to say we can't do something. It's going to be more about how we do something. So, all right, a couple more questions for you, and then we're going to let you go. Um, what guides Dina when it comes to making tough decisions? And let's be honest, you and Stuart have had to make tough decisions during uh, the pandemic. And, it, you know, listen to it almost sounds like it was just... Stuart had a great idea, we moved with it, but what kind of guides your mindset in making tough decisions? I mean, we always have to, you know, weigh financial decisions, you know, um, but we also, we have to weigh like what's gonna be, what's gonna be that motivational thing to get us up and moving in the morning, you know, because the one thing that we've learned in 20 years of business is that if you're not doing something that you love, it's never gonna be a success. And so, um, you know, we've really been taking the last few years to um, shape the business into something that um, we love and we are passionate for and we're motivated to to move forward with. And I think that's really important to, to keep in mind because um, we've definitely been at points in the business where Stuart's not been happy where the business was and it just, I mean, you, I can tell that how it affects him. So really shaping the business into something that, um, that, that we really do have true passion for in growing and moving forward, I think has been key. And then, you know, the other thing is just, again, that we are doing it together, I think is really helpful. Um, you know, we've been a bunch of um, different like learning cohorts and and we see other people struggle and it's because they they don't share that with somebody, I think. So for us, you know, yes, some days are long because we're with each other literally 24 hours a day at work, at home, whatever. And it's tough to kind of make that break from work and, and you know, personal time. But I don't think... I don't think we could have done over the years what we've done if we weren't doing it together. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I want you to give a little advice to our young leaders that are maybe getting out of high school, some of them that went to college, getting out of college, 
Um, you know, Stuart kind of knew when maybe he got out of the Navy, he wanted to maybe work with his hands. You come from more of a business background that's come into the entrepreneurship. What would you say to those young people, a little bit of advice as they start out, something that maybe you did 20 years ago? You know, I would say um, to go back to being authentic and, and being true to yourself, but at the same time, don't ever close your mind off to an opportunity. Um, we take advantage of opportunities all the time and we're always, you know, kind of looking out for opportunities. If you asked me 20 years ago if I thought I would be doing what I'm doing today, there's no way. I mean, I started out, I was getting my CPA, I became a financial controller for... If you asked me 20 years ago if I had any idea I'd be doing what I'm doing today, I mean, there's no way. I, I hands down thought that I would be pursuing a career in accounting and finance for the duration. Um, I never, I, I mean, I just never would have thought that, I always kind of knew that I would help the business on an accounting standpoint, but I never thought that I would um, be here full time in the capacity that I, that I am doing business development and things like that. But um, it's, it's just taught me that keeping my mind open to that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I did because I enjoy what I do. I'm passionate about what I do every day. And I'm excited about, you know, the possibilities of our hard work really paying off for us in the future. Absolutely. All right, before we let you go, we're going to ask you, I'm going to throw out a few leaders' names. And I want you to kind of tell me what, what may come to you, either a first word or a sentence about this person. Um, and these people are known leaders. And just kind of what comes to mind when I mention this name to you. How about Abraham Lincoln? Um, I would say a thought leader. A thought leader? What do you mean by that? Um, just looking for knowing that there is a better way to, um, to make life better for everybody and um, just very forward thinking. Nice. Jill Biden. Jill Biden. Oh, Joe Biden? Jill Biden, his wife. Oh, honestly, I don't really know much about her. Don't know much about her. You know she's the, the yes. obviously Joe Biden's wife. All right, let's give you another Can one. Can you skip that one? Yeah, we'll skip that one. Jeff Bezos, controversial uh, founder of Amazon. Oh, um, I would say, gosh, this is stuff I'm like on the spot now. Um, yeah, this is one thing we didn't give you as part of the talking points. No, you didn't. Um, I would say passionate. Um, you know, I, I admire people who, um, I think it's, you know, it just, you have to go after what you want and not, not worry about the noise around. Besides, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point, right? So there's some people that are big believers in what he established as a business. And then there's obviously people that haven't loved how he's rolled out his business, maybe even the pandemic. Part of it is, I mean, the jealousy of how much money he's probably made too, plays right. into that whole thing too. So. How about this famous leader, Stuart Young? Oh my gosh. You're going to get emotional. He's amazing. <laughs> he really is. Um, he's a great father, great husband, and um, my partner in life. He is an amazing uh, guy, and I hope people get to know Dina and Stuart. I mean, post-pandemic, when it's okay to kind of show up, 
um, at their business or whatever. They are amazing people. I am blown away with their story. Um, I can't get enough of it, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I thank every day Andy Furman, Nicole Down, the people that you know put me in touch with this incredible family and what they're doing. Um, you know, I think the business itself has been successful. Uh, the way that they have pivoted many times, not just in the pandemic. Um, if you got to meet their kids, they're just great kids. I mean, they're great kids and they're, they're passionate about what they're doing. And, and my hope is that some of the kids that we send over uh, to young makers, that maybe they're kids that will actually start doing a little bit of their own. Maybe not as a maybe career, but maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's something they can do on their own. Maybe some of these kids will come back and work for you over at the business. You never know. You've talked a little bit about sometimes it's tough getting some employees yeah. uh, for long terms. And maybe some of these kids, because I know when they come back on the bus with Lauren, uh, they're raving about the program. Uh, they're very proud of what they designed in six weeks, the process that went into it. Um, you know, they're all students. They've been in school all day. And it's like going to school. Like You run it as a class, and it's a hands-on class. But... Hopefully some of those kids come back too. So we're going to give you the final word. It's something we do every podcast. Um, our listeners, as I've told you before, could be anything. Parents, kids, professionals in town. What would you be a final word about our, sub our subject matter of leadership and obviously what you've, what you've built? Well, I mean, obviously, like, I'm honored that you asked me to do this today. And, I mean, I think, um, you know, I've, I think you should be recognized as well because I think that, one of the things that's connected us so much um, is that you as well are a very forward-thinking person and and we're we're problem solvers um, and you know we don't let things get in our way so I appreciate that and I think that's been you know our secret sauce in having such a strong partnership and getting this program off the ground um, I'm really excited to see what the future holds for it you know for us um, it's been a very special experience as a family putting this together. We're very proud to be bringing this to the community. And, um, you know, it's kind of like the legacy that we're handing down to the kids um, for them to continue on. So it's been so much to us on so many levels to be able to, um, you know, develop our children and bring this out to the community. So. Um, I'm yeah. excited for the future of it. And I am too. And I, I do not work for the Young's family business, but <laughs> I have been throwing at them ideas. Um, and I think they're, the sky's the limit of some of the stuff you guys can do. We've talked about father-son classes, mother-daughters, mm -hmm. parents-kids classes. Um, if you're a youth organization, someone in the area of Andover, Mass, you should be reaching out to them. I know my, my guy over in Andover, Bill Fahey, I've talked to him about this, and I know you know Bill. Yeah. But other groups, whether it be anybody that's working with kids, this is a great partnership that I think can be a win-win for all of us, right? So for me, it was offering a program and a skill that we never did here at the Youth Center. And I'm trying to build a facility here that has something for everybody. And a bunch of these kids, their connection to the Youth Center is the Young Makers Program. That's their connection and what they love to do on that. So partnership is important. Um, collaboration is important. Um, I do think we have a good working relationship. And I, I go back to that two weeks before the pandemic when I came over, you guys gave me a tour. I remember, I remember the TV being on and they were talking about this virus and <laughs> we didn't really know it was you know, at the country at this time. But the passion that we both had to pull this off 
And I think we're excited about the future for our program and our collaboration. But this isn't just our partnership. I encourage people to get in touch with Stuart and Dina um, and the kids and get your own involvement with them because because um, you're not, we're still going to be there anyways. So uh, I, w- I do want to thank you, Dina, and obviously coming on the Youth Senate podcast and sharing your leadership thoughts. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And our best, obviously, to Stuart and the boys. Um, we have our last two on the series coming up, and uh, one is Rich Napolitano, administrator of the Great Lawrence Family Health Center, and they're going to be talking. He's going to be talking about his work in rolling out uh, the vaccine in the whole Merrimack Valley area. Phenomenal job that the GLFHC had done. And then we also have Chris Downer, owner and proprietor of Downer Brothers Landscaping. Uh, full disclosure, I met Chris when I first started here, and he was pushing this little lawnmower on his skateboard. And he has built a quite the business here in North Andover with his wife, Nicole. And we're going to talk about all the hidden gems of, of his leadership also. So again, I want to thank everybody for listening. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion.